Welcome to the Upside Podcast, powered by Upside Global and hosted by Julian Blinn, founder and CEO of Upside Global. The Upside Podcast is listened to weekly by over 6,000 sports and tech executives from all sports leagues and teams in the United States and around the world. Julian has been developing technologies for professional sports teams for over 10 years and has worked for major tech companies along with sports tech startups. In each episode, Julian interviews global leaders in sports to share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations both on and off the playing field. And now here's your host, Julian Blinn. So today we have the honor to interview James Giglio, CEO of MVP Interactive, an immersive and experienced technology company. James is also the author of the book called Beyond the Drumatron. So James, welcome to the show. Julian, thank you for having me. As I mentioned, uh, it's nice to be a guest on a podcast as I host uh, on ourselves at the MVP podcast. So I feel a lot more relaxed and, you know, I can, I can just kind of, you have all, you have all the hard work to do, Julian. Yep, I do. That's, that's on me now. So, hey, uh, well, James, great to have you here. So what I want to talk to you about today is first we'll talk about your background and how you got the idea of your company. And then we'll get into your product. Uh, we're talking about the benefits for teams uh, to use your solution. And then, of course, we'll talk about the, your business model, as well as your plans for the next uh, 12 months, as it sounds. Sure. Yeah, that sounds great. And uh, for listeners that want to reread the story that they're about to hear, I'll do a shameless plug for my book, Beyond the Jumbotron, as it details some of this journey in terms of your question and how we started and uh, where we are. So, I, I again, I appreciate the time. And so, I guess it was back in... Uh, 2008, I was working for uh, an out-of-home advertising company, and yeah. you know, as you know, during that time, it was the the advent of the iPhone and the app craze took over the world. And uh, although that I had no real sort of purview within um, working with uh, technologies or brands, I started seeing the influence of those two verticals as well as uh, the way technology was reaching consumers at a, at a, at a mass that we hadn't seen before outside of, you know, your traditional, um, mediums like TV or, or yeah. print or, or, or radio type of advertising. So, you know, working at this ad agency, uh, even though that we, we were not in the app space or in the technology space, I, I just started to see these trends and, you know, working in, in New York city, going through Penn station or grand central stations. I also saw, you know, these sort of brand activations or these stunts, right? Where you would do a, you know, a name any brand that would just have a big display or uh, tchotchkes yeah. giving away at a train station or the station domination, I think they called it. It was like a guerrilla marketing tactic. And, you know, people are all busy and, and they go in and out of the, the terminals and they've got places to go. We've all been to New York. And we know what that lifestyle is like. And so yeah. even though I saw the, the brands trying to influence their consumer engagement, it was still pretty analog, even though, you know, their their pop-up was a lot of fun, but people were just too busy to kind of really engage. And so... And, and that was in 2008 or...? It was about, yeah, 2008, 2009, 2010, yeah. around there. And so, you know, about four years into, um, you know, that time frame, uh, I started to get more involved in the advertising sale of, of things. And so... And by the way, was, 2008, I was working for Wall Street in LA, Wall Street. Uh -huh. That's when the market crashed. That's so, when the market crashed. I know. I, I have time to get in. I know. So I, I had a previous that. life in real estate finance as well. So okay. I, I I got off the beach before the tsunami hit, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. Um, but in early, I guess, 
2011, I, I was more in tune to um, daily communication with with brands of all sizes um, and also agencies that were managing those brands. And so uh, I was down in Tampa, Florida, meeting with a, a regional bank that, you know, we're talking about their advertising plans and, you know, what we're looking to do. And, you know, I just I just couldn't get this thought out of my head where, you know, I'm hearing these these folks, these executives talk about, hey, we're a financial institution. We're kind of boring, but we want to, you know, create some buzz and mm-hmm. have have fan, uh, consumers really just come in to our branch and and become customers. And so, you know, and I, and I just thought, you know, what would be a perfect sort of facility where you have. 20 to 100,000 people can find in a space for multiple hours that you have a passion of uh, experience of why these folks are there and where brands can influence that. And I'm in Tampa and that's a four, four team city. Right. And I'm like mm-hmm. sports. And I yeah. said, you know, imagine a scenario where we, we, we have this advanced technology or these immersive experience that are consolidated into products like a kiosk or mm-hmm. a gaming station or something along those lines. And I was like, you know, I, I, I just felt like it just made a lot of sense to me. And of course they're talking to me and I have this spinning in my head. I'm like, and there was none of like AR VR stuff for sports at the time or. Oh my goodness. When I eventually launched MVP, trying to talk to teams about this stuff. And it was, it was like, I was speaking Greek. I mean, at that in 2012 fan experience meant Wi-Fi or like, and they were just still focused on like, all right, well, we have a team app and you know, our, our fans can't access it when the game's on because we don't have connectivity. And so, yeah, we were, we were way ahead of the market. And so on that trip, it was, um, February of 2012, I uh, I left that meeting and I became obsessed with the idea and I, I did something pretty bold. And what I did was I did some research. I tried to get any contact numbers of the Tampa Bay Lightning, the, yeah. the Buccaneers or, or the Tampa Bay Rays. And I was on YouTube and I found a clip of the, the marketing director for uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. I'm like, you know, that guy seems like, you know, he's my age. He's mm-hmm. kind of out there in the, uh, the community at a bar doing these promotions. I'm like, I'm going to call that guy. Because it was February, it was, you know, spring training really hasn't hadn't started. It was the off season. I called them up. I said, hey, I'm James. I, I, I have this uh, fan experience technology mm-hmm. that I, I want to present to you. And he's like, hey, we're actually taking meetings all week. So he took my meeting. I had no collateral. I didn't have a, yeah. you know, I was working for another company at the time, <laughs> quite honestly. And so I basically went in there and, and I essentially pitched what MVP Interactive yeah. is now. And I said, you know, we want to you know, create uh, these concourse engagements that fans can participate with, you know, in a simulated sporting capacity. Imagine like your Xbox experience at your venue yeah. and then it's sponsorable. And, you know, you guys get the benefit of having this advanced technology and, you know, you can sponsor it and increase revenue. He goes, you know, that's that's really interesting because, you know, we had a challenge you know, Monday through Wednesday, we can't get fans over to St. Pete because they're on their island, right? You know, Tampa's in the mainland. And so Thursday to the weekend, the, the, the stadium's packed, but we we were just talking about how we can create almost like this Disneyland experience at, at um, Tropicana Field. Yeah. And uh, he's like, well, how much does this stuff cost? And I said, you know, give me a couple months and I'll come back to you. I'll, I'll let you know. So I, I left that meeting literally doing cartwheels in the parking lot because I, I was like, this is all the market. That was the anecdotal 
acknowledgement that I needed, right? That was my yeah. total addressable mark. It was insane for someone to make such a life decision like that, right? And so yeah. I uh, I had zero contact in sports. You got no contact in sports. No, no, I had no experience in even the technology. <laughs> well, just... Let me tell you something. The way I got into sports, I worked at Google and Samsung, right? I had zero contact in 2012. I found the email of the president of the earthquakes, right? Yeah. Send him an email. Two days later, I got an email back from the staff from the earthquakes. Yeah, that's how I started. I didn't know anybody. That's all right. Yeah, right? I mean, you have to start from somewhere. It's just one step. You gotta, you gotta crawl, walk, and then run. And and so, um, I went to I went back to New York actually, uh, and presented this idea to my former uh, CEO, and yeah. I said, "Hey, let's spin up a sports and entertainment division. I'll run it." I think we can build these interactive kiosks. Mm -hmm. We can do this. I think there's something here. And he's like, no, that's not our business. I'm not interested in doing that. And, you know, just continue you with didn't you. Give up. You didn't give up. I, that is all I needed. I had, so back to back, it was, I had that meeting with the, the Rays. My boss told me, no, he wasn't going to kind of fund, you know, fund this sort of yeah. idea. Uh, I quit, I quit two weeks later. Um, mm. I, I, on a whim, I, I did what I needed to do financially to sort of set up. I mean, yeah. I don't think I, you know, I was never really prepared to do something like this. And so, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. So, yeah, but your heart was telling you got to do it now. I had to do it now. It was, it was now or never. And I was obsessed and I could not get the idea out of my head. I couldn't talk myself out of it. And, you know, looking back, like I said, that's no, <clears throat> no way to start a business. I mean, you need to find an addressable market and solve a, solve a problem. And, uh, thankfully I was, but I didn't do it or I didn't validate it properly the way I would do now as a, as a, would as you a say you seasoned create, entrepreneur. Would you say you created a market that didn't exist for sure? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Which is, can be fatal. I mean, we were so ahead of the, uh, the curve when it comes to these, uh, to fan experience and concourse activation or brand activation. Yeah. And so, uh, I quit my job. I, I, um, I was living in Philadelphia, but working in New York. And so I rented a desk space uh, at, a, at a photography studio mm -hmm. and relentlessly for the next two months uh, incorporated. And, and I officially announced the business in May 2012. Mm -hmm. So excited. First thing I do, pick up the phone. I call the Rays and I'm like, Brian, you're going to be my client. And guess what? Brian didn't work at the Rays anymore. I, I said, didn't. oh, no. You didn't. He did not. Oh my God. So I track him down and turns out that he he moved over to the St. Louis Rams. And this is Brian Killingsworth and good friend. And I uh I always joke every time I see him um that he was part of the reason and he takes no credit. He's very humble, but yeah. he's now the CMO of uh of uh, F forty five athletics. So um yes. previously. So I, I followed his career and I chased him everywhere he went. So after the Rams mm -hmm. He moved over to the um, the Buccaneers. Oh yeah, and we actually he went back to Florida. He went back to Florida, and uh, he was the CMO of the Buccaneers, and we helped him launch their virtual sales center. So the stadium was going through a, a renovation with new yeah. Hall of Fame club and new um, jumbotrons, and so we created a VR experience that fans could kind of come into their sales center, mm -hmm. experience this new area of the of the the stadium, and their in turn become season ticket holders. So that was, uh, we came full circle. It took a couple of years, but we got there. And so, um, but prior to that, yeah, I mean, it was just a lot of grit and just trying to validate the idea. And uh, I, I joked that I had my quote, Forrest Gump moment when uh, 
the executive director of global marketing, uh, Mark Tatum, who is now the assistant commissioner of the NBA, mm -hmm. took my meeting. Um, this time the I was NBA. a little bit more prepared. I had a presentation. I had I hired a, a graphic designer to um, you know put my thoughts into uh, images, and yeah. you know that meeting was in uh, in November of 2012, and I had no mm -hmm. clients at that point. I, you know, I was out of, essentially out of money prototyping our you know the first kiosk, which is called the Morphine Station, and um, you know we were doing facial filters before Snapchat, right, on the kiosk, That's and uh, so I. Uh, met with mark in new york and he goes you know this is uh this sounds really great i i'm not the best person but i'm happy to introduce you to my event team and so a week later i, I was back in new york and I, I met with the um uh, the event team of the nba and the nba does a wonderful job of um you know promoting their their brand globally and mm -hmm. um you know they organize what what i would consider their super bowl at the time was called uh, the jam session and and so the uh, NBA Jam session happens over the All Star Weekend, where they dominate, take over an entire city, and mm -hmm. it's all NBA related activities. And generally, it's um, you know in a in a big conference, and so all their brands and sponsors, fan event uh, activities are in that in that trade show. And so I pitch them the uh, you know the sort of the company, and they go, listen, if you can kind of come back with us with an idea that that really sticks, you know, there could be an opportunity. And uh, so I kind of came back and I was like, all right, you know, what would make a lot of sense using this kiosk? What would be relevant to best? They were asking you for ideas. They were asking me for the idea okay. that they would sort of want to be potentially be interested in using it or buying it in my thought. And I said, OK, yeah. well. Challenge accepted. So I went back. I, you know, I had, um, you know, friends really just working with me. I didn't have really any employees. And so yeah. we were spitballing some ideas. And I said, what about bobbleheads? Bobbleheads are so synonymous to sports. Every fan loves a bobblehead. What if we use our technology to create these digital bobbleheads of yourself, right? Where we can mm -hmm. use our kiosk. You, you can choose your favorite conference your west or east and then you can do fun hairstyles and then it takes a photo of you and then it renders this digital bobblehead that will be emailed to you and then you can share it on social media i'm like that's that's what it is and you know we we called the kiosk the morphine station with the idea that you morph mm -hmm. into these things and you know we were able to get a patent on that name and or a trademark mm -hmm. on that name so anyway i went back to new york i pitched it and they're like we love it awesome right. and they go here's the deal we're not going to pay you <laughs> what? we want it but you tell us how many tickets you want to all of the all-star events like we will give you floor space at jam session if you want you know 10 tickets to the dunk contest the three-point contest and we'll give you two tickets to the all-star game okay and i'm like okay you know let's go you for it. it like you did it this is the gamble. I absolutely did it. And, and again, I, I had $3,000 to my name going down there and I, I'm not making this up. And this was um, in Houston in 2013. I, I, I shipped the key out. We built the software. Didn't even really have time to test it. We ship yeah, it down. So you funded it yourself. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, I, I had some friends and family like, you know, hey, go get him, James. Like a little bit of money like when I started wow. back in May. But um and yeah, how much was, was the kiosk to build how much was it oh geez um i mean between all the errors and one of the mistakes and um you know we fried equipment and you know and again i wasn't a technical founder and so i yeah. was 
really dependent. I mean, it's, it's funny. Ten years ago, I didn't know how to plug in a computer. Now I can build one. <laughs> you know, that type of thing. Um, I don't know. It was probably twenty thousand dollars when that's it a lot of money. That's it was a, a tremendous amount of money, and especially now, you know, knowing it, 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 back then it, it should have cost five thousand dollars, right? But it was uh, just a lot of trial and error. Yeah. So, so we get this kiosk, and um, then what happened? We get to uh, we get to Houston, and the freight company lost the kiosk. Couldn't find it. Lost it lost it so um, here i am the biggest event of my life this is going to be the time to shine and we can't find the damn thing and so uh thankfully i think it was a freeman uh uh freeman uh ryan facility so they run a tight ship and they ended up finding it and um so they find the kiosk and lo and behold and and god bless the nba and um steve blickenberg who's still there mm -hmm. he put us right next to the autograph stage so our autograph kiosk stage. the autograph stage so all-star weekend you get all of the hall of famers coming you get all your current stars and you know fans can stand next to the stage there's an interview and then they all get their autographs and we were that was the best publicity exposure stage right stage right and uh you know at the time i i was working with uh well he still works with me billy Bellotti. he's our managing director now and um he was running our sales and i said before houston he lives in los angeles and i said here's your goal for the next month is to secure meetings with the local teams <laughs> when we get to houston we're having meetings in front of our device and you did and so you did he absolutely did he crushed it we we met with the texans we met with the rockets we you know, we didn't get him to stop but mark cuban walked by and really? you know, we were trying to like get him to do the bobblehead but uh you know we get everything up and running and uh i can tell you in in full honesty we had a line of 100 people deep 100 the whole weekend you know taking this and it was worth it it was, it was totally worth it and you know it felt like we really conquered the world and um what if you would have never gone there if you, if you had never yeah gone yeah oh yeah i wouldn't have i here's what would have happened i would have been done i would have run out of money but on the spot uh we signed a hundred thousand dollar contract one hundred thousand dollars a hundred thousand dollars with bbva compass who was yeah. the league banking sponsor at the time their marketing director happened to be their houston representative happened to be there with one of the teams that billy had had set up and was just blown away and, he and said, i won this we went back to our airbnb it was like a flop house right like all yeah. of us were in this and we wrote up like the pricing like we just made we just Contract. figured it out and we said here's what it's going to cost uh and they're like great We'll uh, we'll get the concert. So we you went. Made it up. You made up the price on the spot. On the spot, a back of the napkin. Like, how did you come up on, with the price? How did you come up with the price? I well, at that time, I knew what material costs for the hardware yeah. because I had learned, and and so and you wanted to get your margins. You had to go for. The I got margins. I got our mar totally guessed on the margins. Totally guessed on the time frame, um, because we what what they ended up doing was um, they did. <laughs> With the Rockets promotion, we built a morphing station where you would turn into James Harden's beard. So the really? face yeah, filter. Perfect. Yeah. So so we had the James Harden filter, um, which we've never built before. I mean, we were working within facial detection uh, technology. Yeah. And again, this was pre-Snapchat, pre-emojis. So trying to find developers with any real background in 
facial reconstructuring and things was a bit of a challenge. And but that was the concept we pitched. They took it, and it, it was a smashing success. You know, the beard became a an all star. And mm-hmm. the other product they took on was our gaming wall, and our gaming wall was a three by three video wall enclosed in a a, a kiosk. I mean, it was ten by ten, massive. Mm-hmm. Um, and their other sports sponsor was um, the Houston Dynamo, the MLS team. Mm-hmm. And so we built a virtual penalty kick game, which exists today. Now we've refined it, and you know we no longer have a three by three massive video. We we've condensed it to one ninety eight inch screen in in a kiosk, so it's still imposing, but it's just one touch screen. And so uh, and this was just all leveraged leveraging three uh, D. Uh, gesture technology and cameras and so the user was the remote control so you would kick an imaginary let me, ball. Let me ask you this. what's amazing when i'm hearing what you're saying is you know you're not a technical founder and yet you build some what looks totally like totally pretty complex totally technology, yeah. right <laughs> yeah it's crazy. but you really have to believe to trust your guys to do it yeah yeah i mean it was a lot of blood sweat and tears and a lot of you know, down to the wire moments because we were all trying to figure it out. I mean, I had one, one friend and partner that, you know, had technical, was technical and had some experience, but you know, he, we, this wasn't a standard. There was, there was no prototype. There was no yeah. template to, to replicate. And, and so we, we figured it out and I, um, you know, we got very lucky. I found a, a, an amazing development group down in, in Mexico City, and they were basically just students who were learning the Unity engine. Yeah. And and so Unity is a, a gaming engine that allows creators to build, mm-hmm. you know, uh, video games. And so, so yeah, we built that together. And um, do you get into? Do you run into a lot of technical issues? So, for example, one of my friends, his name is Andy Grignon. Uh, he was part of the iPhone team at Apple. All right. And Steve Jobs told him, look, uh, you're going to build a team. It's for a project, building a phone. But I'm asking you one thing. Do not hire anybody that worked at Nokia or those phone companies. Why? <laughs> because he understood yeah. later on, right? You can't build something like the iPhone because it was totally different. Right. And he said to me, the iPhone was not supposed to work. It was not supposed to work. Because when Steve Jobs did the demo uh, you know, in San Francisco, right? They yeah. had like 30 demos. So the, all he was showing is demos after demos after demos. And they were taking shots after shots every time he was, Cedar was making a successful presentation, right? right? The point is, it sounds like what you were trying to build was why well, it didn't exist, right? Yep. There's a lot of challenges, yep. but then you got it done. Yep. Yeah, that, that's the moral of the story. I mean, it's, uh, I think a little bit of willpower, a little bit of luck, and I think a lot of, um, you know, they say ignorance is bliss, not knowing how difficult things are was probably a superpower, right? Like, cause I was just yeah. so blindly committed to just forcing, like forcing this to work and willing it to work. And, you know, it, 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 it goes beyond any level of reason and rationale. I, I find myself usually a logical person and mm-hmm. I've always been that way, but when it's come to this business, I've been completely illogical and irreverent and it's been somewhat of a secret to our success because we you know i I take this approach where i you know i just keep taking swings and and again i don't always i strike out more than hitting home runs and i i don't think our business has scaled to the way that it it can and will but it's been 10 years of learning and you know 10 years of iterating and keeping up with technology so we live 
you know, you got to remember, we're, we're one part marketers and advertisers and then one part technologist, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you're working with the brands and the marketers of these teams or the the leagues, you know, they always, you know, they have this insatiable appetite for the newest thing, the hottest yeah. thing. And, you know, six months ago, we had the hottest thing. It was the morphine station that, you know, we created a digital bobblehead and it, it built our business. But, you know, 2014 came around and they were like, hey, we want VR now. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, that was the buzzword. Remember iBeacons when Apple wanted to? Oh, yeah, yeah I remember that. You know, yeah. They thought the iBeacons were going to be the way that brands communicated and all these stadiums were talking about putting iBeacons into their uh, concourse so they can have fans have and that that failed miserably for apple yeah, so even at right. the highest level of success companies still sort of fail on some products based on you know what the consumer needs and interests are and so when we work with agencies or brands it's what's new what's hot what's new what's hot what's new what's hot and you know we could successfully produce a, a whole string of vr experiences but then now AR became the buzz, right? And all yeah. these hype cycles. And so now you go to Metaverse now, Metaverse and Web3. That's right. And then and then there was esports before that. Like that that's was right. that, that was the huge buzz. And then um, NFT too. And that's so much buzz about NFTs, right? Like the NBA uh, did oh that. Gosh, the COVID NBA. era NVT uh, um, NFT madness was was uh, crazy. And you know, it's you don't always make these predictions right, but I remember one one i was looking so we we were bootstrapped too um yeah. outside of seed investments um for the first three years i think in 2015 we 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 landed a small not small i mean relatively in the realm of investments but a, a seed investment it was by no need you know millions of dollars it was yeah. a couple hundreds of thousands of dollars but um you know when that investment happened you know there was this discussion with this group like hey you know you guys do a lot of things like why don't you just go all in on on one like why don't you just yeah. become a vr company yeah. and i go yeah my, my literal response to him was like we're both old enough to remember vcrs like this is going to it like i 100 percent believe in virtual reality content but like if we're going to be a hardware i mean this is a race to the bottom yeah you know we you know how many VCRs happened, right? all those VR companies and they were yeah they pivoted oh we were a metaverse company now come on that's right yeah yeah right. so we stuck to our guns and and so you know the one of the things that we like to say is that you know technology for us isn't a zero-sum game where we've been able to really take past learning and technology and stack it to future experiences right yeah. so um hell you know the, the facial filters was augmented reality in 2012 nobody knew nobody was calling it augmented reality yeah. and um so yeah you know when snapchat exploded and blew up i was like you know well that was short-sighted i should have just went to the apps <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um but in any event so yeah that's we're kind of the, pioneers in the way you were kind of pioneers absolutely before yeah, I mean, companies right yeah I'm, I'm too modest to sort of self-proclaim that but looking back and i have my moments of reflection and now when you go to a, a live game or the super bowl or these fan fests it's like shit we were yeah, we years we, we really were and and yeah. you know i still get mad when i don't produce like when i go somewhere and i see conceptually what we do i get pissed off that it's not us you doing like it, you guys it took some of your knowledge and they just oh, there, there is no question that the i've learned creative ip is the probably most unprotected asset anyone in the world has right yeah. i'll give you an example we were working with an agency and i think this was right around 2014 as well um 
and we pitched the bobblehead idea, but on a, in a different um, capacity, right? And it was yeah. up with the baseball team. It was with the San Francisco Giants. The it was um, an agency that worked with their sponsor. Uh, we literally designed the whole UI of the experience, and mm -hmm. you know we had the contract issued, and the agency disappeared. Couldn't get like wouldn't respond to our calls. Wouldn't you know follow up on our emails and we lost the deal like it literally vanished i thought our contact was fired or something worse you know personally happened and so it was the, like, company, the company shut down no 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 this is just the end of it we could not get a hold of anyone and when i tell you julian it was probably four weeks of qualifying visual renderings all of that mm -hmm. so now this is an agency based in in, in dallas right yeah. and so unrelated I would say so. That wait, was so wait, probably, what happened. The company shut down. Or what? No, 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 no. They just, they just stopped communicating with us. The company and was they still took the IP. And is that what you're saying? Well, unrelated. So this was around March, April. Yeah. Start of the baseball season. Uh, in July of that year, I was at a conference in San Francisco, mm -hmm. and I said, you know what? We're in San Francisco. I'd love to go to a Giants game. My wife yeah, is with me. We go to the Giants game and I go, you know, because every 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 event that I go to, I just walk the concourse to see opportunities and yeah, yeah, yeah. what things are doing. And so lo and behold, I walk down the concourse and I see our art. I see our assets. I see a very bad bobblehead version photo, but it was our copycat, design. Copycat version. Stolen. Jeez. Let alone copycat. It was I I I did the experience. I got the photo takeaway. Julian, when I tell you we were so detailed in how we produced this, yeah. we dressed our employees in baseball uniforms, took photos, uh -huh. to create the positions of the bobblehead figure and recreate it. And that and the photo that I saw was my colleague's body. <laughs> what did so, you do then? What did you do at that point? Well, I called my attorney and he's the one that he's like creative IP. Is probably the most unprotected asset yeah. the world has because you, you just there's really it's so hard to protect it and uh, you know when you're engaging this back and forth you're sharing it at will there was no mm -hmm. nda signed because it's like who's going to sign an nda when you're just talking about an opportunity as a startup right you know yeah. you're aggressive and you just want to quit so so that's my story about copycats but yeah that's an understatement and you know, they always, they, when you're first and they say leaders take a lot of arrows in the back and that's for mm -hmm. sure. It still happens to this day, to this day, um, the pose with the pro experience, like, you know, that went viral. Uh, we had produced that experience for four years ahead of that viral moment with the Cowboys. We didn't produce that one, mm -hmm. but it went viral. And the other company that did it had this one-off great success. And uh, I was like, holy shit, like we like here's the four other examples that we built before that. And so so, again, it's, it's just good validation. I, I, I no longer think of it as a um, I mean, I'm disappointed, but I, don't, I really don't take it personally. And I, I take it more as a, a validation of, you know, cr solving the problem of, of what consumers and brands are looking to do and, and mm -hmm. you know, leveraging the, the technology to be the right conduit. So. Uh, of course, I want to be the biggest and, and greatest company and like be the first name that comes to mind. But, mm -hmm. you know, there's always a guy in the garage, right? Like, you know, and teams love free things. And so, oh, yeah, 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 for sure. you know, if, if you're just a guy in a garage and, you know, you don't have any expenses and you got a cool little widget and as a startup, like 
you know, teams will completely leverage that and, and take advantage of, you know, proof of concept. So, yeah, but in any event, it, it's been a great journey. And, you know, uh, here we are 10 years later, I published the book beyond the jumbotron talking about our start as well as, you know, the market trends and the marketing trends of where immersive technology is, is really a big influence on our day-to-day -day lives now. And we can thank the iPad and we can thank Apple for a lot of this. Right. And, yeah. um, so here we are. And, and so we're, we're constantly pushing forward, trying to innovate, come up with new creative concepts and, you know, really expand our buying base with agencies, teams, leagues, and, and brands. Yeah. That's great. So now today, uh, you see, you know, you had this business for 10 years. So how big is your team uh, today? Yeah, we're still relatively small. We're about 12 full-time yeah. um, employees. We do work with a, a host of freelancers as well. And yeah. uh, gratefully, those freelancers have been, I guess you can call it permalance because they've been with us multiple years, right? And mm -hmm. so, um, so I mean, they you help us. Of freelancers like Upwork. I mean, you find some really qualified people, um, I find. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, we've we've leveraged Upwork in the past many times. Thankfully, you know, we have a good community now and we we yeah. really have a I guess a consortium of of, you know, counterparts that we can just really pull from and 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 rely on and you know, we've worked with for for quite some time. Yeah, so but if now if you look at your your product or your suites of solutions, is there anything you can do? I mean, you can do anywhere from like AR, VR, Web3. I mean, our, our literal tagline for the company is anything is possible. And, okay. you know, some of our favorite projects have been phone calls from clients like, hey, here's an idea. And then there's just us whiteboarding it and figuring out how to do it. Yeah. Now, as a business, uh, you know, I, I like to say that we're the coolest business, but we're not the best business, right? Like when you're a services and, and sort of project oriented company, you know, from a scalability standpoint or, you know, a P&L or like a VC sort of focus type of growth, like it's very challenging. And, and so, um, you know, it rides one part lifestyle, one part ad agency marketing technology, but it's, we have a ton of IP, we are a technology company, but um, yeah, so, so we still take on this sort of bespoke, hey, let's build stuff together, but you know, we're super excited about what we're rolling out this year to really sort of buck that trend. And I think we've sort of cracked the code on um, sports sponsorship, ad mm -hmm. revenue, and sort of concourse activations. And so this year we're, we're launching our experiential media network. Mm -hmm. And so we've taken the 10 years of our experience and uh, expertise and have productized all everything that we've certainly built over built over the last decade into a, a product and mm -hmm. um kiosk is still one of the mainstays and uh, the morphine station and then our gaming wall where what's different now is we are giving teams an opportunity at a very low cost to no cost barrier to entry where our devices will be on their concourse and we are going to bring them unsponsored revenue to their facility, meaning that there is no dependency on their current sponsorship team to earn revenue or place media on that experience. And so we're working with a host of media networks that will take a look at our map and say, okay, I want these six stadiums. We go to the team and say, all right, team, 
there's no sponsorship conflict. For example, you're a Pepsi team. We're not bringing Coca-Cola to you. Yeah. It's going to be, you know, a, a non-competitive sponsor. We're going to pay you as a landlord to run this fan experience. And but then and, you're getting paid by those customers, the brand. And then we're getting right? paid by the advertisers. And why it works okay. so well is because, sure, if you're a mid to regional brand, you can't pay for or commit to a five-year multi-million dollar commitment to sponsor with that team. Yeah. This gives you a way to have access to those fans and those consumers that you want to be in sports. And hey, you know what? Joe's Pizza could never get into Yankee Stadium outside of this model, right? And so we're we're super excited for that. And um, you know, we're expanding our network and continuing to get commitments from teams that uh, are looking to join that that network and um, you know generate new outside revenue. So, and so we're basically building an ecosystem. It sounds like exactly between the advertisers, the brand, and the teams, the venues. Hundred percent. That's great. 100%. Now. Um, how would you summarize in a few in a few sentences like what are the benefits for teams generally speaking of course they're looking for a return investment of course they're looking to you know maybe like brand activation uh drive more sales so what how would you summarize the key benefits right from from the teams and and yeah customer i mean the customers being the advertiser for example yeah absolutely i mean everything that we do on the front end is fun and, and engaging and it's advanced technology and it creates a memory, but we also have a back end suite of uh, data collection, right? Um, so the biggest problem, if you think about, you know, going to a sports game in the early nineties where mm -hmm. uh, the concourse was just uh, tablecloths and you know, credit card companies making you fill out credit card applications, like, and mm -hmm. you get a towel, right? But when you present, this immersive experience, the exchange of information or that communication becomes frictionless, right? And so the yeah. brand is going to, the advertiser is going to be able to collect the new consumer piece of information that they can remarket, resell to in a very holistic, non-confrontational way where, you know, that fan is going to just go away with that memory and experience of the full game day experience. Mm -hmm. But in particular to say, wow, I, that virtual home run challenge game was awesome. You know, they may or may not remember that it was sponsored by XYZ brand, but, you know, a week later, a day later when they're, you know, immediately when they get their video takeaway in an email, it's like sponsored by so-and-so. And by the way, you're in the CRM now and now, you know, you can convert those into consumers and, and yeah. loyal ones because of that, that connection. And so, you know, so there's data, there's revenue driven um, opportunities for the team. And then, you know, Teams are, you know, fans value experience over things these days, right? And so stadiums have to focus on creating that full, holistic, all-day fan experience to create that memento and memory and, you know, using technology and, and creating that, quote, Disney-like experience is, is more and more important than ever. And so it's, you know, it used to be a nice to have where, where you go to any sports and entertainment venue, it's, it's a mm -hmm. must-have now right okay, you know? yeah, that's, so and then what would you say is your and i think you kind of touched on that your competitive advantages right i think like, it's not like you're very creative you're very flexible you're not afraid of the challenge um what would you say is your competitive advantage i i, I think the hour there's a couple of things but the main one our competitive advantage is uh we surviving covid and oh, yeah. uh the the mainstay and the sort the endurance being able to do this in in 10 years when there wasn't a market like this when their team budgets aren't 
marketing budgets aren't what most people think they are when it comes to property valuations or salaries of players. They're, they're very minimal. And so we've learned uh, how to maintain a lean operation uh, and then create this masterful marquee of brands to work with. We, we've worked with the greatest sports properties and Fortune 100 and 500 brands across the world using our technology. And so um, learning the lessons, understanding operational issues um, and, and doing the full integration from, you know, we call it the five Ds, right? So we, we do a discovery, yeah. uh, design, development, deployment, and data. You know, so we are a full holistic picture of um, what it means to create these experiences. And we, we're experts. And, and well, you so, should have like a video behind the scene. How do you make it from ideation all the way to commercial? Uh, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Behind well, we, we have a little bit throughout the years. We, we have tons of content. And our, our, our website and Vimeo page um, highlights all of these experiences. And so if you want to check them out, go to uh, mvp-interactive.com or Vimeo slash mvp-interactive. I'll definitely and, uh, uh, we should put that into the uh, article for this interview. Okay. Great. Well, so uh, now we've got about 15 minutes left. I want to make sure we cover other sure. things. But um, uh, where do you see the the future of sports fan experience? Right. So you know, like like you said, we had AR and VR, right? That became a big thing. Then NFT came about. Then we had the metaverse. Uh, now AI is a big thing, right? Uh, now you're gonna have the Apple Vision Pro coming on the market very soon. Um, like, where do you see like five years from now, right? Five years from now, what types of killer, what I call killer fan experience do you think we'll see? Yeah, I, I think from a technology perspective, there's a couple of things. Uh, I've always been a proponent beyond any other technology with mixed reality. And yeah. so although there, there have been incumbents like Oculus or Meta and, yeah um hive and and you know all the, the the countless headsets that that really miss the mark and not to their fault but again being early is 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 a big thing and yeah i think if we were to learn anything from apple and their ability to change the way we live and interact mm -hmm. with the world they are probably one of the premier companies to do so and so i am super excited about the Vision Pro and what Apple you can know, do. You're a game changer and create a mass market, yeah. you think? Absolutely. And I think because of the, the integration with the content on your phone is going to be able to seamlessly your, it, it, uh, create an experience with your headset, right? Yeah. And so, you know, your, your, your videos, your camera roll, all of that stuff is going to be seen in, a, in, a, in, a, in an amazing new way. And mm -hmm. I think you know, the fact that it is a see-through headset, again, five years from now, they're going to look like spectacles versus the big headset that yeah. they are now. Um, but being able to interact with the real world layered with augmented reality, I mean, one of the examples I always say is like, I, I'm not a very handy person. Um, so if I had a Vision Pro headset and I had that on my my head and I'm under the sink learning how to do plumbing, like while I'm doing it, like I look forward to those practical experiences. And so mm -hmm. I think that's just going to weave in, listen, Apple is now uh, a, a, basically the media holder of MLS, right? Think about games yeah. being able to be viewed in that headset um, any, anywhere in the world, in any location, you know, not being tied to cable any longer. Um, yeah. So I'm super excited. I know that's not incredibly 
focused on fan experience, but from a technology. I, sort yeah, of, I mean, it could be part uh, of the fan experience in the whole, you, for example. You, right? Yeah, yeah. It, you can just think of the countless uh, interactions and experiences you can have with that. I think from other methodologies, uh, you know, obviously AI is a is a yeah. huge buzzword right now. And I think from, you know, a team perspective, you know, they can leverage it from an operational perspective or, it, you know, maybe some of their, you know, sales efforts and things of that nature. But for yeah. creators, I think it's tremendously uh, helpful in the advance of content creation and the seamlessness and how fast we can execute you know, there's different methodologies like um, uh, volumetric capture or cloud, yeah, yeah. right? Where you're like Rezor, really Rezor, and I've done some pretty cool VR experience, I think, for the fans. Yeah, um, I'm sure seen that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's yeah, but you know, using AI that you could take 2D photos and convert them into 3D environments. Like we're we're testing right now, where um, you know, this is kind of getting ahead of myself but we're yeah. we're we're in a proposal right now with the paris olympics with the u.s olympics oh really and, really yeah and so i was gonna yeah. say i i know that i know the innovation team so i was gonna say okay yeah so we're working with um one of the agencies that's that's basically running the entire yeah olympic house so you know what we want to do is we they don't know this pitch yet it's, it's coming on tuesday so this is an exclusive yeah. and here i am telling about creative ip nice <laughs> so, but i i've learned my lesson so what we want to create is a full 3d parisian environment photo ar experience where you are walking in front of a screen mm -hmm. and what you see is you in the field in front of the eiffel tower in full 3d so if there's a picnic table, you can walk around it. If you're in the you know, Olympic stadium, right, you want to be on the podium, what you're seeing, even though in your real world, you're just somewhere in the lobby or somewhere mm -hmm. on the concourse, but what you see is you in a lifelike rendering of this environment, takes your photo and talk about a memento. What a, what a, what a, what a postcard, right? A 3D postcard of, um, and that's leveraging AI because, you know, we're not flying to Paris right now and taking a 360 photo or video of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. We can pull that 2D image and, and use some methodologies with AI to create the entire environment with that 2D asset. So, cool. yeah, that's great. Uh, I'm actually, I have a call with them uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, with yeah. Them, so. so, so hopefully, Julian, I get two trips to Paris this year. Yes. <laughs> I'm expecting you to be, to be there, especially. I will be there. After the yeah. Olympics, I hope you get the you had the deal. So, uh, but that's great. So, hey, um, we got I think nine minutes left. But can you talk to me about one? What is your business model? How do you typically work? Who do you typically work with? Sure. And the second question is you kind of added to that, but your plans for the next twelve months, right? Yep. Yes. Yes. We we talked about the experiential media network, which is uh, essentially going to uh, you know really disrupt I I think sports sponsorship in in a positive way and and the mm -hmm. way brands can have access, um, you know, to these properties. But traditionally, you know, we've got a few avenues of our business development. Um, one being working with teams directly, uh, mm -hmm. understanding the needs and goals of both their marketing departments and or um, facilities, right? So last year we launched the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets fan zone, which was a 4,000 square foot permanent location fan zone where we took essentially top golf for hockey. Mm -hmm. And so we created 
you know, these uh, the slap shot game and a goalie game using high rate sensors and you know fabricating these puck shooters. So, you know, fans got really immersed in in the uh, the experience, and we built a replica locker room of uh, the CBJ player locker room and and used rendered that for esports activities. So, you know, instead of the lockers being filled with equipment, it's TVs and Xboxes where you can play, you know, mm -hmm. NHL. Um, and so that's one method. Uh, another avenue is working with uh, agencies. So you think of your sports agencies like Wasserman or CAA, and, you know, they handle brand activations. And so your tentpole events, your US Opens, your Super Bowl, your mm -hmm. All-Star Weekend. So we, we work with um, those agencies. Uh, obviously, the leagues, uh, as the NBA example, was a, a good example of that. And then um, this was essentially a product of COVID as well. But we've launched a, a new collegiate initiative as well, mm -hmm. where uh, we have developed a content management system called Sync that allows for universities to create these um, athletic department-centric touchscreen experiences that memorializes the the rich history of that athletic department through visualization, multimedia videos, photos, mm -hmm. and on the back end, the team can sort of curate and update all of the content themselves. And so why, is it kind of like a white label solution then that the, the colleges can use? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So we sell them the platform and, uh, you know, and it's great for recruiting because when a recruit comes, you can just put in their high school highlights, put their name in and there you have on a 68 inch screen, like welcome, you know, Joe Smith, you know, that says as a 17 year old, that that's really that's powerful. Great. And so, yeah, um, we're excited about that product as well. That's great. Uh, well, look, it uh, looks like you've got some great, great plans, great things in the pipeline. So, um, and we at the end of the podcast, but it was super, super interesting and, you know, all the best to you guys. I hope to see you guys in Paris that September 5th. I will be there. There's no question. I'm uh, already planning a family vacation to bookend this. <laughs> All right. Uh, but look, thank you for being on the show. So thank you very My much. My pleasure, Julian. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To access past episodes and other research, articles, and analysis of sports technology, please visit our website, theupside.us. Subscribe to the Upside newsletter and receive full access to our sports tech business letter and website. Royalty-free music is provided by ibaudio.com. The Upside podcast provides timely insights and interviews with global leaders in sports technology. Until next time, keep looking to the Upside.